Christians were on the run. They had no rights and they were in great danger. Paul actually wrote this letter while on house arrest in Rome. And despite his circumstances, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, describing the fullness and richness of life in Christ. Paul knew that if the Ephesians understood who they were and began to live in Christ, the world would never be the same. The same can be true for today. If we understand what it means to live in Christ, if we understand what it means to live in Christ, if we understood what it meant to live in Christ, if we understand what it means to live in Christ, to be the church, our city and our world would never be the same. Never be the same. Would never be the same. Would never be the same. Would never be the same. Welcome to each of you and congratulations again to our graduates. It is so good to have you here. I want to extend a welcome to Chairman and Mrs. Turner for worshiping with us this morning here at Mount Zion. So welcome to you guys. Yes, thank you for being here. <laughs> chairman Turner is the chairman of our Board of Commissioners here in Clayton County and has been a busy man lately and we're grateful that God allowed him to be here and worship with us today. We are going to open in prayer continue in Ephesians, and try to understand more of what the Apostle Paul has been teaching us in this wonderful book. So Father, this morning as we open our Bibles, we also um, equally open our minds and we open our hearts, not to, not to what we perceive, but God, to what you have instructed. And Lord, I pray that the truth of your word would permeate us to our innermost being that it would transform our minds, that our minds would be renewed, that our actions would be updated, that our opportunities would be used to bring glory to you. And so, Father, as we read about the Apostle Paul or read from what he's taught us, God, open our eyes this morning, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we are in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, we learned that we had been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And Paul said those spiritual blessings come from God the Father who planned salvation, from Jesus the Son who presented or purchased salvation, and God the Holy Spirit who presented salvation to us. And from that moment forward, Paul began to say, I've, you've got this gospel this gospel has been given to you. This gospel has renewed you. This gospel has made you a new creature. But it didn't make you a new creature for you just to live in your newness and sit back and do nothing. It made you that because he said, Now, because of Christ and what he's done, that the wall of hostility has been torn down. Now, that wall of hostility was twofold. The first fold of it was this in that you no longer are a stranger or an alien or an enemy of God, but peace has been made with God through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. So you have a relationship, but more than that, you have intimacy with God. He said, but now here's the second fold, and it's equally important. The second fold is that now you are no longer hostile to each other. 
And he helped us to understand that when he talked about the wall of partition that was in the temple. The wall of partition that was in the temple was a very beautiful and ornate wall. It was a wall that if you walked by it, you'd, go, you'd say, now, that's a wall. It's a pretty wall. It was a marble wall. But it was a nasty, vile wall because that beautiful wall by appearance was separating Jew from Gentile. In other words, the body of Christ couldn't be together because of hostility, because of racism, because of, of ethnic pride that separated what God ultimately intended. And God, God through Paul, said that Jesus came to knock down that wall. He said, so now I want you to live that way. And so Paul has told us all of these things. He said, God's not, there's no longer distant. There's no longer division between you as humanity. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, for this reason, because all of that's been done, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for you Gentiles. You know what Paul just said? I believe in this peace with God and peace with each other so much that I'm willing to go to prison to make the message known. I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you willing to go to prison for today? If it became a crime to be a Christian tomorrow, would there be enough evidence to convict you in a court of law? Or would you be seen merely as complicit? Paul says, I know where I stand. I know who I believed in. I know that I'm persuaded and that He is able to keep that which I've committed unto, to Him until that day. And he said, I'm willing to go to prison for it. So he says, I, Paul, for this reason, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. And by the way, raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Boom, everybody in the room, raise your hand. You are one. He went to prison for you. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have brief, briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it now has been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs. You know what? Everybody in the room just gasped when he said that. They went, what? Gentiles? With God up close? And now you expect us to hang out together in church? This was revolutionary. This was mind-boggling. This had people going, oh no, what's up? And partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ to the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. So how does God want to make His wisdom known? Through the church. Who's the church? Raise your hand again. Everybody in the room, you're the church. 
So God has brought everybody together for a purpose that we have peace with God, peace with each other, to make known the manifold witness, the wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. He said, I want you to so live it out here on earth, among each other, that it goes beyond the walls of the church, beyond the walls of the county line, but beyond the walls of the state line, the national line, the world lines. He said, I want you to live it out so much that now even the angels in heaven are turning around and going, what are those people doing? He said, I want you to shout it so loud. I want you to live it so real that even Satan and his minions know what's going on according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you which is your glory. Can I tell you that this text has filled my mind because every time I read it, I don't understand it. And I know there's more there than I'm, uh, than I'm comprehending. <laughs> and it overwhelms me. But there's two truths I want you to know. I am an earthen vessel with a limited mind. I take company and comfort in the fact that I'm in the company of Paul and the second truth I want you to know is when he finished writing it, he stopped and prayed that he would understand what he just wrote. That's a good thing. So this morning, as we're comprehending it, as we're learning it, as we're digesting it, next week we're going to see how Paul prayed for us that it would be more than just knowledge or information, but it would be transformation in our very lives. But I think the key for us to begin understanding is Starting in verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God may be made known by the church. The church is the greatest institution that God ever, ever created. It's not 7102 Mount Zion Boulevard is the greatest thing He ever created. But the body of believers, those who have come together and said by the blood of Christ that He shed on the cross at Calvary by Him being buried in the tomb and being raised again on the third day, those people that unite around that, that's the greatest institution I've ever created. It's greater than New Year's Eve at Times Square. It's greater than any political summit that's ever taken place or any treaty that's ever been written. It has done more to bring peace than human efforts combined all in total. He says it's the church. That's the great thing. That's the thing I put together. In fact, if you want to understand that just a little bit better, in 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, I think it's on your outline, it says all flesh is like grass. In other words, what men do is like grass. And all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord abides forever. So if you want to invest your life in what doesn't fail, invest your life in the word. And in the word, God says it's through the church that I'm going to make my wisdom known. But then keep reading because it also says in Luke 16, 15, for what is exalted among men, meaning 
what is the pride of men, what is the glory of humanity, for what are those things, those things that we spend our effort for and live our lives for only to look back one day and say, why did I put all my energy there? That's what he's talking about. It says, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So what you think you've been doing and what you think is wonderful doesn't matter much. On my way to church this morning, as usual, I get here early. This morning, I was running late. In fact, I was running maybe an hour and 15 minutes later than I like to. I turned left off of Mount Zion Parkway. I began to proceed up Fielder Road. I get to the 7500 block of Fielder Road. I look to my right. There's a man laying on the side of the road. There's a car parked by the man. I can tell that there's panic in the lady that is standing by the car. I get out and I say, ma'am, can I help you? She said, my son and I were arguing and he jumped out of the car. Let me tell you something. At that moment, it did not matter what degrees that lady had. It did not matter what title she had. It did not matter how much she had in the bank. The only thing that mattered was what was coming out of her mouth. Dear God, dear God, dear God. She got on the phone with 911 and she said, I need help. I need help. She gave them the address and help came. But I want to tell you, just as desperately as that lady needed 911 at 7.15 this morning, Ish. Just as desperately as she needed help from emergency medical services, you need the help of God today. You're walking out into a new world, you graduates. You're going to need help. You need God in your life. You need His wisdom to be made known to you, and you need Him to give you the strength to understand what is happening in your life. And so, Paul. He begins to tell us, look, therefore, because of all of this, I'm willing to go to prison for it. I'm willing to go to prison for the fact that there's been peace made with God and peace made among man. He says, now let me tell you something. Not everybody knew this. In the Old Testament, they didn't get it. The Jewish people were given the truth. They took the truth and they hoarded it. They did not share it with people. And therefore, we are here today. But now... All of this truth, all that God intended, even in the Old Testament, He's made known through the apostles. Those are apostles are eyewitnesses to the life and the truth of Christ. All those who saw it, through them, He's made known this truth that you have been reconciled. And so as we began to digest and unpack this passage, He says to us again in verse 10, let's go back because that's our center text, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers. So God says, I have something that I want you, the church, to serve notice to Satan and his minions about, and it's the wisdom of God. So the first question I think we need to ask is, who are the principalities? Who are the powers? Who are they? What do they do? Who are they? We can find in Ephesians 3.10, we just read it, we can also find in Ephesians 6, 
1 through 12, where it says to us to put 1 through 2, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we, now that's the church, us, the people in this room, the people that have accepted Christ, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, the world rulers of this present darkness in the heavenly places. They're clearly... We need to understand that principalities and powers, they are clearly aligned with Satan and his influence. They're not flesh and blood. That is, they're not merely human. They are supernatural. And they are intent on the destruction of humanity, which is why further on in Ephesians 6 it says you need to put on the full armor of God. Because Satan has a plan. That plan is to destroy you. That plan is to destroy the church. That plan is to break us apart, disjoint us, get us infighting so that we have no testimony outside the walls. But God, through Paul, says, I want you to be my manifold witness. I want you to testify. I want you to put Satan on notice that what Jesus did on the cross is real because it's living in me and I'm living it out there. Before you just simply write me off as a babbling old fool talking about principalities and powers and manifold wisdom and destruction and Satan and his minions, let me ask you something. Is there real evidence of satanic power or is it just enough activity that makes the devil unlikable? Does Satan have control? Well, let's think about it. Let's talk about nuclear power. Nuclear power by itself is not a bad thing. Nuclear power has now been used to incite fear and control. Petroleum, I put it in my car, it makes my car go. But it's also now a source of international blackmail and fighting in humanity. Painkillers. Wonderful if you're the one that's hurting, but now there is an unbelievable black market on prescription drugs that are gripping people every single day. Satan has taken the inventions of humanity that would make life better, corrupted them, and caused us to use them against each other. He is not just a myth. He's not a man with red horns and a pointed tail carrying a pitchfork. He is a very real being that does not live on earth, resides in the heavenlies, and he's after you. The scripture tells me the only way you defeat him is by giving yourself to God through Christ. So who are they? They're Satan's foot soldiers. All right? So where do they reside? It says they reside in the heavenly, literally the heavenlies. That means the the spheres above the earth. God says in Ephesians 1.3, Paul said, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In 1.20, he says, He raised Christ from the dead and has seated Him in the heavenly places. It's the abode of God. It is the place of spiritual beings. I think if we had asked Paul, Paul, where are the heavenly places? He would say, not here. So if you're not here, you're out there. And out there is up. No matter where you are on earth, it's up. Even if you're up, it's up. And if you're down, it's up. He says it's up. It's out there. That's where they reside. And he said there's a war going on out there. 
and it is after you. But while their native sphere, their place of residence is out there, the heavenly places, they have tremendous influence on earth. They manifest themselves in the attitudes, the inventions, and the institutions of society. They're there. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says, And you He made alive when you were dead through trespasses and sin, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power. Now that's the exact same word in the Greek. Prince of the power is the same thing as principality and powers. So you were following a course. It is one that is well planned. It is well organized. It's not very creative because what he used in Genesis 3, he also is now using today in Jonesboro, Georgia. But it is very calculated. It is very precise. It is very powerful. And it's in your life. So he says that the principalities and the powers, who are they? They're minions of Satan. Where do they live? In the heavenlies. What are they trying to do to destroy you? But he says, through you, the church, I want to give divine wisdom. I want this divine wisdom that I'm giving you. I want you to take it out there and serve them notice that my God is not dead. He's fully alive. He's living. Where does he live? On the inside and he roars like a lion. I got lost there for a minute. I'm sorry. That's where he is. That's what he's doing. And he wants you to do it. So this divine wisdom, what is it? The church is to make known. I think the best way to answer the question is to see what has in fact been made known to the church. And I see three things. So let's go back to chapter 3, verse 1. I won't read all of it, but I will just simply say to you in verse 3, he says, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. So in the first stage of the revelation has been made known, Paul says, I got it. Well, what is the mystery? The mystery that's been revealed is that in Old Testament times, not everybody knew that God and God's Word was for them. Paul said, here's the mystery. It's for everybody. Now listen, this is one of the passages that people have used throughout history to say that the only way you could get to God was a special revelation. It was called Gnosticism. Gnosis. You had to know it. You had to get something. And here's the cool thing to them is the only way you could get it was come sit under them. Paul says the mystery has been made known. There is no special revelation. It is Jesus Christ born of a virgin. Live a sinless life. Die on the cross. Buried in a tomb. Rise again on the third day and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. That is all you need. The mystery is not how to get to God. The mystery that we want to make known is that God's alive and He's using us. Paul says, this mystery has been made known to me. That's step one. Look at step two. In verses eight and nine, the church receives the revelation from Paul. God designed it. Paul received it. He's given it to the church. And who does Paul tell us to give it to? The principalities and the powers. So you have a mission as the church. Your mission as the church is to live. Let's see. Um, John, come stand with me. Miguel, come stand with me. 
Um, Keldron, come stand with me. Haley, come stand with me. You see, this is what was going on in the world. What was going on in the world was God was over here. I need a Jewish person. Karen, would you stand up? You are my resident Jewish person today. All right. So God is over here. Karen, as the Jewish person, thought that she had gotten this wonderful revelation from God that all of God was only for me. Now, she was looking over there at them going, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, you going to hell. All right, so that's what was happening. Not that blatantly, but that's what was going on. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene. Um, Sean, stand up and be my resident Jesus for this moment. All right? Then Jesus came on the scene, looked over at Karen and said, you got it wrong. You got it wrong, right? What I did is I came for all of humanity. Okay, people began to believe that. God died one time for all of humanity. And they were gripping it. and They were believing it. And they were going, we all go into heaven. That's good. Then God introduced something else. All right, Jesus and you sit down. Now, all these Gentiles over here said, I got God. I got God. Oh, I got God too. All right? And then, I got God. Come over here. But me and my God aren't going to mix with you. Because my God likes white people. My God likes black people. My God likes Asian people. My God likes Mexican people, Hispanic people, Latino people. Then God put out a message. I didn't come just so you and I could be friends. He said, I came so we could have a great old big group hug. Cue the group hug. Everybody, come on in. Yes. That's what he did. All right, thank you. He said, and now, if you want to be mine, if you want to do what I really came to do, he said, accept my son in the salvation that's yours, but now take it a step further. Love each other. Take it a step further outside the church and serve notice to Satan that what God did on the cross is real and it is affecting how I relate to humanity. That's a challenge. That's hard. But it is absolutely what God called us to do. In 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24, it says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ died for the unification, the glorification of God and the unification of humanity. Now, I can tell you, you can take the word and say, I don't like it. And then you'll need to go drop on your knees and confess your sin. Or you can take the word and say, God wrote it, now I better align my life to it. Because God did not call you to worship the God you want. God called you to worship and serve the God who is. And the God who is says, you better learn how to be my church. And I don't have multiple churches, I have the church. 
So, what do we have? We've got the principalities and the power. We've got the divine wisdom. And we've got the mystery made known. What is the church to do? We're to demonstrate the wisdom. Now, demonstrate the wisdom is mean you get out of here and you live it. It becomes practical application to your daily lives. Brothers and sisters, we have an incomparable calling. It stretches our imagination to the limits. It, it challenges our ability to forgive to the max. It causes us not just to be people who live in what is, but it calls us to be cultural architects. You know what an architect does, right? He designs and oversees the, the building of something new. You have been called. You have been commanded. You have been challenged not to live in what is, but to be the architect of what God conceived in heaven, delivered to earth through His Son, and empowered you to do through His death, burial, and resurrection. I want to be a part of something new. I want to be a part of a community that is standing not by ethnicity alone, but through the blood of Christ and united with a big old group hug that says God is alive. Your gifts and your talents may seem small, but when given to God, they become an endless source of blessing and strength to influence others for the ages to come. And this is what I love. I mean, Paul didn't tell me to walk next door and, and knock on my neighbor's door and say, hey, I'm here to influence you. Oh, he went straight out of earth all the way to heaven. He said, I want you to go to the outer reaches of those who oppose me in my plans. You see, because if I put Satan on notice, everybody else is on notice. He says, I want you to live out of this world. I want you to take your peace with God and the power you have been given to make peace with humanity. I want you to become an architect of something new and share it with Christ. Share it with others. Share Christ with others. If we fail to live in gratitude to God and to maintain the unity of the Spirit, we bring reproach on the wisdom of God. And you say, how is that so? He said, because I called you the church to deliver the manifold wisdom of God. He explained to us that the manifold wisdom of God in chapter 2 was peace with God and peace with humanity. He says, if you fail to live that, you're bringing reproach on the name of Christ. My dad had a position. And that position required that his children step in line, stay in line. I decided one day that my pleasure was more important than his reputation. Truth. And I walked out and I did something. 
My dad didn't yell at me. My dad didn't beat me. My dad didn't ground me. He looked at me with tears running down his cheeks and he said, you have made me ashamed. That's reproach. That's what reproach is. And God says that if you receive all, if you're sitting here going, give me more, give me more, give me more. You graduates have been getting gift upon gift at your graduation. And if all you do is receive those gifts and then do not turn and do something good with them, you have not really understood the purpose of a gift. God says, I gave it to you. Now that you have it, I want you to go give it and live it.